news, stories that impact your lives, culture, and the music you love with a little Motor City flavor on 1019 WDET. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. Our unfundraiser is going to end the moment we hit $281,000. That's what we need to help eliminate the kind of fundraising that often interrupts programs like Detroit Today. So go to WDET.org and renew your support or donate for the first time. We really need your support. We need to keep shows like this on the air. Uh, What would it look like if presidential candidates made earnest appeals, earnest agenda shaping for voters of color? When Donald Trump recently told black voters they had nothing to lose by voting for him because their quality of life was already so awful, He was also conceding that the vast majority of black voters are expected to vote Democrat no matter what policies are proposed to benefit communities of color. Farai Jadea of 538.com recently wrote, quote, Leave aside Trump and Clinton for a moment. Their battle is really about a question long raised by candidates, citizens, and political scientists. In today's two-party system, are the political interests of black Americans represented well or are black voters, quote, captured? ignored by one major party and taken for granted by the other. I want to have a conversation today about the role that black voters play in presidential politics, the role that they are playing specifically uh, in the 2016 presidential election. And uh, joining me for that conversation is Farai Chidea. She's a senior writer with 538.com and a longtime public radio personality. Welcome to Detroit Today, Farai Chidea. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Absolutely. And uh, also joining us is Lester Spence, Associate Professor of Political Science and Africana Studies at Johns Hopkins University. This is an area of his research as well. Lester, welcome back to Thanks Detroit Today. Me. Yeah. Uh, so, for I want to talk, I want to start with you. The piece uh, that, that I was uh, quoting from uh, is uh, is one of two that you've written, uh, written recently that I think really touch on uh, this issue. One was titled, uh, Black Voters Are So Loyal That Their Issues Get Ignored. That was on September 9th. And then on September 13th, you wrote a piece uh, that's called uh, Trump's Blue Collar Base Wants More Jobs in an America Like the Past. I think, in a way, this is two sides of that coin uh, that you look at when you think about uh, black voters. One is where are their interests in the conversations about uh, the presidential campaign, in the conversations about policy uh, that will inevitably follow the election? But the other side is uh, how do they fit in to the, the sort of larger electorate uh, right. uh, and, and blue-collar white voters whom, uh, who, we, who we would generally think would have more in common in some ways with black voters and might be a, 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 an ally, end up being on the other side uh, of, the, of the issues. Uh, let's first talk about the, the, the role that you sort of see black voters playing in presidential politics right now. Well, black voters have been the single most loyal electorate to the Democratic Party. But as my article specifically on black voters points out, there's, just, there's something that um, a political scientist 
named Paul Freimer called electoral capture. And basically he's saying that, you know, and this is a direct quote, the Democratic Party, by doing more than nothing, is better than the Republican Party. The vote is always clearly differentiated and yet at the same time marginalized. And in his work, he basically looks not at what voters feel, but how political elites act. And the way political elites act is as if appealing to the needs of black voters is poison. And that the only way that you may or may not address the needs of black voters, but to basically say they are a strong constituency, I care about dealing with their issues, will turn off white voters. And I think that there is actually some evidence for that when you talk to people like the Trump voters I spoke to in Warren, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But, but um, he points out that you can make direct appeals to Jewish voters and say, I'm pro-Israel and I support um, you know, the interests of the Jewish American, American community in a way that, you, that politicians don't with the black vote. So there's sort of a game of come close but stay away. Like, mm-hmm. I want your votes, but I don't want like your racial taint. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that makes things very complicated. Well, and and which sort of makes uh, Donald Trump's visit to Detroit uh, two weeks ago uh, an anomaly, right? Uh, uh, here's a, now, and, and uh, at least on its face, uh, his, vo- his, his visit was supposed to be to deal with uh, this this gap between uh, Republicans and their issues and their beliefs and and black voters. Now, of course, uh, I actually wrote a column in the Free Press about how that was not what was really going on, that, that really yep. he was sending a message to white voters. Uh, but but I, I, it's hard for me to remember the last time a presidential candidate during the general election uh, came to a city as black as as Detroit, for instance, and said, "I'm here to talk about black issues," and that's sort of exactly the problem I think that you put your finger on. Yeah, and with the with the Trump visit, of course, it was roiled by many different levels of controversy. First, there sure. were people pointing out that all of his appeals about you know what do you have to lose, is, aside from just being kind of. Um, poorly phrased, were also always done to white audiences. Then he said he would come to a black church, then came out he wasn't actually going to go to the church, <laughs> he was just going to do an interview with the pastor. Right. So it just rolled out in these waves. And um, and, and the thing is, um, the Republican Party, some members of the Republican Party have actually done better than others in recent years with black America. And one of them was... Um, George W. Bush, because with his faith-based initiatives and the fact that he had a lot of blacks in the cabinet, um, I wouldn't say that he was uh, working on a black agenda, but for conservative African Americans, of which there are a significant minority among the the electorate, those things made a difference. And Donald Trump is not even kind of batting in that league. Yeah. Uh, George W. Bush, uh, in fact, uh, captured more of the black vote than than uh, than Republicans typically uh, do. It was not a huge difference, but uh, but there was a bump there. Uh, Lester Spence, uh, Professor Spence, I want to uh, I want to ask you about the the sort of uh, what what what's missing from the conversation, right? Uh, a lot of your work is in the is in the space of what ails African Americans. What are the sort of hurdles that exist still uh, in the society because? Uh, you're 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 an African American. Uh, if if a presidential candidate wanted to sit down and come up with uh, a platform or an agenda that was 
that was directed toward reversing the negative dynamics uh, for African Americans in, in in this country. What would it look like? I mean, I, I and I ask that partially because I I think we've never seen it before, uh, but but also because I think in some ways we're not we're not exactly sure what. Uh, what that would what the, what that would look like? What what would uh, Hillary Clinton, for instance, say or do uh, that would be more focused on on African Americans than what we see? Uh, well, first, I want to give a quick shout out to Farai for a couple of reasons. One is just because she's, she's good people and she's my friend. But second, <laughs> hey. is because hey, second is because rarely, and uh, even though we've got a lot of people who've been studying this issue, a number of political scientists who've been studying this issue, uh-huh. rarely are we actually turning to political scientists who study this issue for expertise. <laughs> right. So, Paul Primer's book, Uneasy Alliance. I was hanging out with Paul like a couple of weeks ago. Paul is good people. That is an excellent book at understanding the process of electoral capture, which goes a bit beyond elites, but also goes into how the two-party system is structured yes. you know, historically, how that ends up leading blacks out. Yeah. Right? So, so folks who check that out, you should have Paul on the show. He's dope. Now, as <laughs> well, to your we'll question. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> as to your question, you know, believe in the shout-outs. Uh, as to your question, I, I actually believe it would be pretty simple. Right? So African-Americans on every single economic indicator uh, suffer more than any other population from the forces of deindustrialization, from forces that um, that reduce um, the resources given uh, for goods like public education, um, and we tend to suffer more from punitive policing, and we also suffer more from violent crime. Right. So it should be. So on one hand, what you'd be talking about with Hillary Clinton, or even Donald Trump are a set of policies that deal specifically with those economic issues that they face and then with those um with those um 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 policing issues that right. they face right. right so from a conservative perspective right you can imagine imagine Trump saying like listen this is what i believe i believe that police who end up are, are who are who commit acts of violent crime against citizens should be put under the jail right that's a conservative that neatly fits with conservative platforms sure. on crime, and it's applied to the police, right? right. Uh, with someone like Hillary Clinton on the liberal end of the spectrum, well, I believe something like public education, like college education, a school like the University of Michigan, go blue, um, <laughs> that should be actually free, right? And that's borrowing from, uh, from Bernie Sanders and the work uh, scholars like Adolph Reed have been doing on the ground. It's actually not rocket science. Right. Right, uh, but but at the same time, uh, the the political sort of pratfalls of doing that, as Farai Jadea just pointed out, are not uh, they're, they're not imaginary. I mean, uh, for instance, you know, the the appeal to uh, a block of voters like Jewish voters carries less risk than uh, a message that was directed at black voters like the one you just talked about. Well, uh, yes, but I would argue a couple of things. One is that I argue that the, that the risk is actually decreasing, um, in part because of demographic shifts. Uh-huh. There's simply uh, more non-white voters, uh, and, and black voters take up a larger, uh, a larger proportion of the electorate than they once did, but also because of cultural shifts. Right, because um, not, and I'm not just talking about uh, Obama's election. I'm talking about the whole suite of cultural changes that now make it possible for somebody like Colin Kaepernick to actually sit down 
for the national anthem, and then all of a sudden his jersey sales top everybody else's jersey, jersey in the right? NFL. Right? So, we, so, yes, it's still risky, but I'd actually argue that it's far less risk than, um, than, than, that, than it once was. And given that there are a number of whites who suffer from the same economic uh, dynamics, um, and in some whites, some whites are at risk from suffering the same type of incarceration dynamics. Sure. It, it seems to me that this claim is something that can, that while risky, can have tremendous payoffs and can make our nation far more progressive and uh, make uh, people in, anywhere from Inkster to Livonia better off. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Farai Jadea, a senior writer with 538.com and a longtime public radio personality. Uh, also, Lester Spence, associate professor of political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University. We're talking about uh, black voters and the presidential campaign, the role that black voters play in those campaigns and the attention that African-Americans issues get from the two major parties. Republicans uh, tend to I would I think it's fair to say ignore uh, black issues in in many instances. Uh, Democrats uh, are often con- uh, are often accused of taking African American votes for granted. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think about uh, the way the two parties deal with black voters or deal with uh, issues of race and racism in America? Talking about it or not talking about it, addressing it or promising to address it. Uh, or not. Uh, And do you think that uh, black voters are taken uh, for granted? That's something that uh, Donald Trump uh, is saying almost explicitly in his campaign, that uh, what do you have to lose? Uh, look Look at who you vote for and look at what you get. If you vote for me, you'll get something different. And he promises that if he's elected uh, president, he'll be uh, so uh, so good at the job and so appealing to black voters that he'll carry the majority of black voters uh, in four years. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. For today, I want to uh, talk about alliances among Voters is uh, something I referenced a little bit earlier in the conversation. This this rise of sort of anger among uh, blue collar white voters, which is in many ways fueling the campaign of Donald Trump. Uh, at its base, some of the fears uh, that that those voters are expressing, some of the anxieties about, especially the financial anxieties that they're expressing, are precisely the the, the issues. Uh, that African Americans have been have been dealing with, living with, and sort of talking about for a really long time. Uh, historically, of course, uh, there's there's race is the wedge uh, between those two those two uh, constituencies. As bad as things seem now, uh, with Trump and the way that uh, that he's sort of manipulating that white voter base, is there an opportunity? Uh, maybe after the election or, or at some point for a greater alliance between white blue-collar voters and African-Americans? Well, I think that fundamentally you have to understand that there's a different dynamic going on than simply, you know, do we have shared interests? And it's what I call my bear theory of the 2016 election. 
there's that saying that if you're on a camping trip and um, a bear comes and you're being chased, you don't have to be the fastest runner. You just have to be faster than the slowest person That's trying right. to escape the bear. Right. You don't have to outrun the bear, just the person uh, who's yeah, next the to person you. pulling up the rump. <laughs> right. And I think that one of the things that's happened, and there's a lot of economic research and sociological research and even neuropsychological research that talks about the theory of relative disadvantage, which is that people are very afraid of, you know, their, and, and understandably so, of, of their relationship to the bear, in this case, perhaps the economy. Yes. So if you see, if you're, you know, a middle-aged white man and you see people of color, LGBTQ Americans, women gaining on you, you know that your relative distance to the bear is shrinking. Right. <laughs> so that changes the nature of this idea of collaboration. If you view things through the bear attack lens of politics, you don't really care that much about shared interests. You, you care about relative advantage. And I think that that explains a lot of what's happening here, because there's no question... I mean, the area I was in was the Mahoning Valley of Ohio, uh -huh. and Youngstown is, um, I was in Warren, but nearby Youngstown is a case where racial differences really destroyed the ability of the Youngstown area to act cohesively in its self-interest. There was a lot of racial tension sure. between blacks and whites when they could have, you know, negotiated as a group to, you know, to really you know, lift the fortunes of the area. And um, Warren and Trumbull County are 87% non-Hispanic white. And, and there's, you know, there's a fair amount of racial distance and racial tension. But if you understand it through the lens of comparative um, disadvantage, then you have a different sense of what alliances mean. And I think that until we put that on the table and talk about it, um, like, so for example, just one thing I'll leave you with is that there was a study of the American National Election Studies 2016 pilot, and it basically found Trump supporters were felt less favorable towards blacks, Muslim Americans, and Hispanics than people who supported other GOP candidates or people in general, but also towards transgender Americans, feminists. You know, I mean, that, that's part of the bear theory. Yeah, yeah. And essentially what you're saying is that race is the wedge between those two, those two groups, that, that uh, racial fear or animosity or whatever you want to call and it. And politicians what, encourage it. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, Professor Spence, uh, last time we had you on the show, we talked some about the role of unions uh, in, in advancing uh, black politics uh, and, and uh, black financial security. Uh, he, here again, the union crossed racial barriers at some point uh, and, and had blacks and whites uh, together in some instances, of course, uh, still with the, the historic racial tensions uh, hanging over them, uh, working together. Uh, is, is part of the problem uh, what you mentioned when you were on before, the, the, the dissolution of organized labor, the, the, the sort of detoothing uh, of it as a, as a powerful force? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how I'd extend and how this idea extends what uh, Farai is talking about is interests are not a given, right? We kind of naturally, we think that middle, uh, that there's this natural set of interests that, say, white middle class voters have or this natural set of interests that black middle class voters have. Interests are actually constructed, right? So elites construct them. 
um, interest can be uh, can be broadened or or narrowed as a response to public policy shifts. Yes. Right. So when you've got something like the union historically, um, and then the ability of different racial groups to have shared interests has risen and fall uh, across time. Like there have been moments, like uh, there have been moments where, uh, like in the fifties in Detroit. Uh, where blacks and whites came together in the UAW to fight for shared stuff, right? right. So when you've got something like the union, when, uh, and I think the word detoothed is actually really, really accurate <laughs> um, and on point, uh, when you've got something like the union detoothed, an institution that historically has, uh, can, uh, that has at points in time brought people together for a sense of shared interest, it makes it far easier for political elites and political parties to actually disaggregate them and then make it seem as if a bear is, uh, is chasing them and the, and the decision on who gets eaten is zero sum. Yeah. Uh, all right. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue our conversation uh, about black voters and the presidential contest. I want to thank Farai Chadea, uh, senior writer with 538.com and longtime radio, public radio personality for being here. Uh, Farai, we will have you back at some point. Uh, Love to do this. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and stay with us on the phones. We're going to keep Professor Spence uh, and take your calls next. What do you think about the role black voters play in the presidential election? What do you think about the things candidates say about African-American issues? 313-577-1019 is the number. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guest is Lester Spence, Associate Professor of Political Science and Africana Studies at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Uh, we are talking about black voters in the presidential campaign. Where do black issues get addressed in presidential contests? Do they get addressed in a presidential contests? What, what is it that Republicans and Democrats could say about African-American issues that would sort of craft an agenda uh, that's focused on making life easier or better for black people. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Again, 313-577-1019. What do you think about the things that uh, candidates say or don't say about uh, issues that affect uh, African Americans? Uh, Let's go to Cordell in Detroit. Cordell, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead. I just, uh, just wanted to kind of uh, start off by saying, as an uh, African American voter, I, I feel that you know the candidates aren't going to know exactly what it is to be black in America, what it is to actually have the struggle. What I feel that you know a lot of us feel in the community is that they're not listening to their constituents that are in contact or that are on the front lines of society as it relates to the black experience in America. Also, I would like to say that, you know, even though it is pretty much the the black vote has been going to the Democratic Party since, you know, the days of the first uh, Roosevelt. Uh, And it's been like that because because we felt that he kind of turned on us. 
He promised some things when he got in the office, when he first got in there, and he turned on it. Yeah. And ever since then, historically, it's been that way. Now, do I feel that, you know, I have anything to lose or what has the Democratic Party done for black America? A lot. And, you know, that goes without saying. But I feel that it's up to the Republican Party not to just whine about, you know, us leeching on to the Democratic Party, <laughs> but to actually implement some policy to be American. Give me some competition for my vote. And don't just, you know, say, oh, it's just here or there. Yeah. They've had five, they've, they've had a lifetime to show black voters what it is, you know, they should be voting for, to bring in these black voters. And it can't just be on, you know, issues of, of social issues or how you should raise your family. It has to be on things on how I'm treated, you know, and how I'm able to have my own experience as an African-American. Yeah. Uh, Cordell, uh, great, great comment. Uh, I have a question for you, though. What, what you were saying up front about uh, – uh, the, the the candidates not being able to relate to uh, the experience of being African American and and dealing with sort of the imbalances that that still exist in, in society. Uh, how do you feel about Barack Obama in that in that regard? I mean, it was this he was his election? It seemed to me was an opportunity to have somebody who did understand that uh, in the White House. Uh, but you sound. Maybe like you're I, disappointed. I love Barack Obama. I never met the president a day of my life, but it's a lot of love for him here. Right. I do, however, feel that his arms were kind of tied and, you know, that we wasn't able to get as much as we needed out of him in his presidency. But it was because he has, he, he has to be a president for all of America. Sure, sure. He didn't have the luxury of going in and being a civil rights activist. But he did have the charge of being the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cordell, thanks very much. Uh, great call, great comments. Uh, uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, what's on your mind? Hello? Yep, uh-huh. Am I on? You are. Okay. Uh, what I wanted to point out, which uh, often gets ignored, is the fact that both parties ignore us, but... The Democrats ignore us where the Republicans attack us. <laughs> right. And it's much better to be ignored than attacked. <laughs> than to be attacked. At least things don't get worse when you ignore, when you're attacked, uh, like they attack our voter rights by trying to pass voter ID laws, sure. or they get rid of the straight party vote. They make civil rights laws weaker by saying if you're discriminated against, you have to prove intent. And so many times when people are discriminated against in housing or uh, jobs, uh, they can't prove that they did it on purpose. If I murdered someone or if I committed a lot of crimes, uh, a traffic accident or whatever, I don't have to do it on purpose, but I'm still punished. Sure. So they make the laws so that they don't really protect you. Yeah. Uh, and also affirmative action, Republicans are against oh. quotas. Anything else in life that you want done, you set quotas to make sure that they target, get a certain right? measurable yeah. results. Right. <laughs> but they pass all kinds of Republicans' laws attacking us, making us weaker. And then they have the nerve to say, what have the Democrats done for you? when they have do been doing things to us. Yeah, Tim, and great, yeah, great call, uh, and thanks very much uh, for those comments. Uh, Professor Spence, uh, those two calls really uh, really highlight that the, the, the complicated relationship between 
black voters and the black community and and uh, politicians. Uh, and the thing is, it's funny because listening to them, I love Baltimore, but I miss being home. But, um, <laughs> but just those two comments, right? So there's a set of assumptions actually made by people in both parties, right? And made by people in both parties at the national level. And when I was dissertating in the 90s in Detroit, I even heard this from polit- black pol- democratic political political elites in Detroit, a set of ideas that assume that black people don't really know what what their interests are. Sure. Right. In both Cordell and Tim's comment, you actually had. Now I disagree. I, I disagree with some of the things Cordell said, but both of them evince a very sophisticated understanding yes. of what their interests are as black citizens, and then what the responsibility of the political party should be to them to get their vote. Yeah. Right. They're not stupid they don't have false consciousness they have a very sophisticated understanding yeah yeah no that's a really great point because uh donald trump in his comments about black voters uh makes the assumption about uh, that you're talking about, about uh, them not really understanding what's best for them. What the hell do you have to lose? And Uh, and, and one one further point uh, on the research, right? Uh, There is there is a set of uh, research on uh, on candidate sophistication, on the ability of the electorate to be sophisticated about their vote. And that research clearly points, uh, clearly states that black people are more sophisticated about their voice, vote, about their vote choice than whites are. Yeah. And even, even given that blacks, because of um, historical processes, have less education, we are far more sophisticated about our vote than other populations. Now, that doesn't mean that our vote uh, that our vote would quote unquote be perfect. I mean, heck, I'm, I don't plan on voting for Hillary Clinton, and most blacks do. Um, but we are one of the things we have to toss out, uh, particularly those of us who who either study this or talk about this regularly. Is this idea that black people are it's not black people who are sophisticated. It's their, if anything, it's their white counterparts. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I I didn't know that you were a Trump voter, Lester. Oh, <laughs> I'm teasing. There you, you go. <laughs> Uh, let's go, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Selwyn in Detroit, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, good morning, uh, yep. uh, Stephen. I appreciate you uh, taking my call. I've sure. been trying to reach you on when you've been with the Free Press as well as Backlay on the uh, Chronicle. Uh-huh. I'm the Detroit General Chair of the uh, Detroit Residential Long Term Planning Group, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which spun off from Mayor Bean's uh, community engagement. Sure, sure. Back in 2012. Yeah, and. Um, my comment is, is, is twofold. One, we have to hold all the politicians accountable to us. I believe the Democratic Party, by and large, has been trying to address our problems, not maybe as fully as we would like and would want them to, but that's our incumbent upon us to hold them accountable. I come from a labor activist as a union, so I retired from General Motors sure. Tech Center, and uh, I come from also the Shrine of Black Madonna. So when I went to Mayor Bing's uh, affair, I went there with the intentions of networking with my fellow black um, uh, residents, and we were able to form a loose committee, and after the process finished, we formed a formal committee. And I'm the general chair. We got a chair of the water, transportation, lighting, community engagement, housing, and that's why you see your lights in, the lights here in Detroit have improved because of some of the work that Damn, we've done. No question about system. it. Yeah. And we're dealing with the Flint water situation as well. And uh, now we're getting ready to deal with the housing thing because we got an issue with 
the fact that suburbanites come back after 40 years and taking over downtown so, and midtown. So, Selwyn, let me ask you this question. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're working at the local level to make a difference uh, for people who live in the city, and, and most of those people are black. Uh, do you see things that you think uh, pre- uh, the president or politicians at the national level could be doing that they're not doing that would help you? And, and The president can't... Um, Hillary came into Detroit. It wasn't widely uh, covered. The Chronicle covered it. Yeah. And she went on Livernoise and surprised a lot of black businesses over there. And she said did. She wanted to bring back the type of black empowerment program that her husband had. And she also went to Flint uh, during the Flint crisis. She did. So we have to follow up and make sure that we hold her accountable if we're going to vote for her, which I do intend to vote, unlike the professor there, and I know you was messing with him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we have All right. Uh, no, Selwyn, thanks very much uh, for that uh, for that call and those thoughts. Uh, professor Spence, we've got about a minute left. The follow-up, that's one of the things that uh, that I think is a really important point with, you know, it's not just about casting your vote. It's about making sure that uh, the people who get into office do what they say that that they, what they said they were going to do. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he mentioned the, the the shrine of the Black Madonna, uh, the black slate at the yeah. outset. Right, right. It's not what it used to be. Uh, I don't even know if it even if it still exists. It's not it's what still it used around. To be. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the black slate at the outset was a tremendous resource that black citizens had for keeping, you know, an independent institutional resource for holding citizens accountable. That's the type of thing we have to kind of work on. So Baltimore, uh, Baltimore just agreed yesterday to give 500, no, no, six, $600 million in tax, uh, in tax subsidies to Kevin Plank, to basically uh, the CEO of Under Armour, to build a third, like a second Baltimore downtown. Yeah. At the same time that Baltimore's budget um, is, is is in crisis. Yeah, no, right? I saw that that vote. Uh, Councilman Carl Stokes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was horrible, and I'd love to come on later to talk about it. But what we have to do, what we're building in places like Baltimore and Detroit, in part because of Black Lives Matter activism, in part because of kind of Occupy Wall Street activism, is kind of a new set of institutions to really not to not just put people in office. But to put, but to create deep mechanisms of accountability—that's yeah. the struggle we have. Yeah. All right, uh, Lester Spence, professor of political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University. As always, thanks for being with us. Uh, keep on having me, man. Yeah, Love you. We will. All right. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. <laughs>